The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is socially distanced. Uh, you know the drill. I'm Paxton. With me is Justin. Justin, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing okay. I'm tired. Me too. I I just got off work and uh, I'm uh, exhausted because I, I worked a lot of overtime and I'm about to work a lot of overtime the next couple of days. So I I um my mind's elsewhere. But you know, here we are. This just shows you our dedication to the show and to you, the fans, that uh, we persevere even through the worst of it. And the worst of it apparently is being a little sleepy. Um, you know, that's the worst <laughs> possible thing that could happen in the world. Really? You know, as, as we've established. <sighs> yes. As we've all learned in the last couple of years, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing uh, is any worse than being sleepy. Oh, um, oh God, there's a flea on me. Oh, that's no Something good. Something worse. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Oh no! This is this this show's gone to full calamity. Um, <laughs> that was bad. I really didn't like that. Actually, that really did put a damper on this already kind of damp <laughs> evening. Um, uh, uh, oh, boy. what are we talking about? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Doing? Anyway, we're here to do some show, I guess. And uh, you know, usually this show's an hour long. We get we hit you with the news. And we hit you with the feast and the weast. You know the drill. We don't have to explain it. We're like on episode forty-five or something. But uh, but uh, we're tired, as I said, and I have to be up early tomorrow. And so we're just going to give you a half hour. It's another feast. I think we've done. We've been doing more of these lately. We should probably cool it on just the half hour feast soon. But you know, tonight's tonight's not the night for radical change. Tonight's the night for withholding um uh, tonight's the night for um slow reform i don't know uh, we're building back better here on socially distanced <laughs> we're uh we are holding to mainstream liberal liberalism here on socially distanced uh, oh boy um anyway what were we going to talk about we were going to talk about yes the feast this week in the weast on the socially distanced with Peakston and Gstein. I'll stop. Um, it's Please. gonna. <laughs> I'm tired, man. This is not radio. <laughs> this is terrible radio. Um, uh, we've probably done worse. You know, it's, it's a shame because we really hold ourselves to such a high standard here. Um, but we are going to be talking 
about a show that I watched in a few days last week and a show that Justin attempted to watch and could not get himself into. And, you know, it's a show that you've already probably heard plenty about and, you know, probably weren't that curious on our takes on it, but we're going to give you our takes on it. And that's The White Lotus uh, on HBO, created by Mike White, starring the likes of uh, Connie Britton, Alexandra Daddario, uh, not Gina Gershon. Why am I for Je- uh, not Jennifer Tilly either? What's Jennifer her name? Connelly? No, Jennifer Coolidge. There we Jennifer go. Jennifer Coolidge. Ah, there it is. And Steve Zahn and Sydney Sweeney, who all the who all the youths are into right now. Um, whole bunch of people. Great cast. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like we try to talk about more niche stuff here on this show. We tend to avoid like the big, the big ticket titles. Um, we like to get more into the underground, but then sometimes a big ticket title is too good not to talk about. Our first episode was about Tiger King. So, you know, like some, sometimes sometimes we got to follow the masses because the masses know what's right. And in my opinion, I felt they know what's right. And I think uh, The White Lotus is very good. Justin, what did you think about The White Lotus? Uh, so I... Um... Well, here, uh, before I tell you what I thought about it, I'll say this. You know, I feel like these uh, these feasts, you know, our feasts in the weasts tend to basically take two forms. You know, like it's either like we've both like played or watched a thing and we're kind of, you know, talking through it like together as two people who have both experienced the thing or one of us have experienced the thing and the implicit kind of, uh, you know, the the. Um, the underlying idea is that like one of us is telling the other why the thing is worth their time, like why they think the thing is cool. Um, and this is sort of like, and yeah, like your, your challenge this back and like, this is definitely more the second one, but it's in a different way because normally like the other does not, I think have a set opinion about the thing that the other thing, I watched the first episode of the white Lotus and I didn't like it. And like, so I'm saying all this to say like Paxton, your challenge for this half hour of radio is to convince me to watch it. Cause yeah, I just kind of, I kept waiting for the hook in episode in the first episode and it never came. Like you get the sort of the setup of someone has died on this Island and you go, okay. So there's some kind of, I don't know, someone's gonna die all right and then I, I kept waiting for sort of like a way into something like a plot and it was just kind of you know it was just sort of yeah like waspy people being waspy and awful and i was like i don't i get it or it was like like i feel like there. Like this is sort of like a genre wise kind of like pitched as like a satire. And I was like, okay, I don't find any of this with the exception of like a couple, like maybe like one line that got a chuckle out of me. Like, I don't find any of this especially funny. And the, I found the characters like a little too irritating. Like I get that I'm not supposed to like them. Like, uh, like with, with a few exceptions, like I think you're supposed to generally like Alexandra, uh, Alexandra Daddario's character, you know, um, she seems more sympathetic. Yeah, no, she definitely. And yeah, I mean, that's like, well, that's the thing to me is the show is uh, what's the term shoe leather. Um, I think shoe leathers, the writing expression um, the show is comprised predominantly of a 
what seems on the surface to be shoe leather in that, you know, if you don't know the term, if I'm using it correctly, I believe that's the right descriptor. Um, the term is meant to describe scenes that kind of meander and don't, uh, don't advance the plot. And shoe leather is one of those things that they especially tell like young new writers, like never include that in your script, make sure everything you're doing is always advancing the plot because no one wants to see meandering conversation that is frankly sort of irrelevant um and that largely is true although i think shoe leather uh, has a time and place we've talked also about like napoleon dynamite on dynamite on this show uh a movie i love that is it, the same sort of deal as the white lotus a lot of scenes that all feel like shoe leather when isolated and then when actually sort of paid attention to there is a through line that is actually sort of driving the whole thing together and every scene actually does have a purpose despite the fact that it does feel a bit meandering um also mm -hmm. fun fact napoleon dynamite uh uh cast member john grise who played uncle rico uh is a, a major supporting character in the show in the latter half so that's exciting mm -hmm. um and he's quite good on it uh but but yeah, it's it, to me, I mean, the thing is you also, it's another one of those things where like that kind of meandering filler uh, storytelling is an acquired taste. A lot of people hate Napoleon Dynamite too, even though I don't think Napoleon Dynamite is the like most comparable film in terms of storytelling and, uh, and character and aesthetic. In fact, it's kind of a polar opposite in a lot of ways to um to the white lotus i more am using it as an example of like a film that that feels on the surface like it lacks structure a story that feels on the surface like it lacks structure mm -hmm. um so and, oh, can, I, can i can i yeah can i interject from it and just say like i think i mean part of it is yeah like i'm you know <sighs> like the, like a sort of like yeah like it's meandering structure is something that i i, I kind of like bristled with like you know rub me wrong let's say uh but i am like i also do like things like that though so i don't think like that was like the whole of the issue i think also like, like the sort of because there are things that i think the show does quite well and i think there are ideas that sort of that structure it and i mean i saw like at least like one think piece that was about kind of like uh, the, the show's representation of service work. And I think like the, like one of the things that really structured at least the first episode was the fact that, you know, it, it's a sort of um, you know, like, so, I mean, the plot is like, yeah, a bunch of rich people go to a nice hotel in Hawaii and, you know, you spend time with the rich people and you spend time with the employees uh, of the hotel and the employees are kind of led by like a character that I was described as like a, less well put together Aussie version of uh, Ray Fiennes' character in Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. someone who is kind of like, you know, like knows like, okay, we are creating a sort of aristocratic illusion for these people. Um, and it's just that like the the Aussie, like the, you know, the, the White Lotus version of that character just kind of hates it. Um, he hates it, but he really like, he actually has arguably the most compelling arc of the whole show. I will say that. Um, but he, I think the way he handles his hatred of it is very interesting in that, like he really does actively try and uh, uh, like justify his work and justify that sort of aristocratic, as you said, like set up for these people and like, sort of lives in this kind of um, 
very structured internal fantasy uh, Mm -hmm. in order to like make his own life tolerable essentially. And then Mm -hmm. I won't say how, uh, but like the dam does break at a certain point in the show and he ends up basically uh, carrying on that facade around these people, but fully embracing his like contempt for them and his contempt for this work. And like, he sort of ends up becoming this, like this sort of dueling, like this, like balancing act of like still playing pretend while also being a lot more honest with himself. But it's Mm -hmm. also that comes with a cost. I don't know. I, I was debating whether or not we wanted to get into spoilers on this show and I think I'm going to try to avoid them because it is such a new show. Um, Maybe I'll change my mind at a certain point, you know, we're playing this one pretty fast and loose, but uh, (laughs) I I think for now, I definitely want to avoid that. And yeah. And, but yeah, point being, I think his character actually has, because part of the thing too, about the show without getting too into the nitty gritty is these characters all kind of have what I call like, would call like fake arcs all their Mm -hmm. arcs are kind of fake outs um these characters don't develop in the way you think they're gonna but they all act as though they've developed it's it's hard to describe unless you've seen the show um Mm -hmm. his is the only character that truly has an arc and it pays off for him in a very interesting way i'll say um, he becomes arguably the most compelling character on the whole show. I will yeah. say that. I'll say I think he was like from the from the jump, like the most compelling character. I think like, and I think, and this is sort of like the, the thing that I'm going to ask you at the end of what I say here is, you know, just to give you a minute to think about it. Um, like, what is the point of this show? Because like the, the thing that kind of while watching it, yeah, you have this guy who kind of like, yeah, is about like sort of like recognizes like, okay, we are creating this like, you know, fantasy for these rich people, basically. And that, you know, and that fantasy kind of like, you know, it, what we see is the the way that all of the rich people kind of in this first episode, I'm only talking about the first episode, like the way that they kind of like relate to that fantasy and how they sort of capture it i guess or like what it lets them do so the the character played by jake something the husband to uh, alexander daddario oh jake lacy yeah yeah um i hate him man oh, i yeah. hate him yeah. just like just horrible he is probably uh, the one character on the entire show with basically no redeeming qualities um, with one exception being, and I, I don't feel like this is that much of a spoiler because she becomes a kind of major character, but his mother played by Molly Shannon, who shows up midway into the show. Um, mm-hmm. He and her are probably the only two characters with, you know, goose egg zero redeeming qualities, just it, terrible through and through. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, his whole deal is basically like in the first episode, at least is like, Oh, they, they gave us the wrong room. And, you know, and and like and like the the thing is like well you know they have an amazing room like they have like you know they are staying in a hotel room that is nicer than any hotel room I will ever even look at in my life, and so yeah it's like it, but like the thing is like it, it's the sense of kind of like 
agency and power. And like, that's like, it is like a direct kind of like, no, like, even though I have this amazing thing, I need to pick the thing that like I picked because I need to have complete control. Um, there's the, the, the one kind of like ditzy woman who has like the sort of, uh, the like a very good like a, this ditzy rich lady that has like a very nice experience with a masseuse and becomes immediately obsessed with uh the uh you know the uh, the masseuse and um sort of can't recognize that this like that this deep emotional experience like what was a deep emotional experience for her was like you know a job for the other woman and like you know can't see that like there's a power differential there where you know like there's like there's a transaction that happened and that like in that this person does not actually have this connection with you that you are imagining so it's like this sort of like the inability to understand that there is like an economic exchange so there's that there's the um uh, there's, this, I think the more banal kind of like, there's the family with the two, the two young, like, you know, younger, uh, women, like one daughter and one, like there's the other family that Steve's on and like other people are in that I'm just kind of like, okay, I don't know. Like, I just kind of don't care. It's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're bored in paradise and you all kind of seem like scumbags, but like in a way that's like less, like less overt. And I'm just sort of like, okay, yeah, like they're all, you know like it's like these varying kinds of like yeah it's just like they're all like varying kinds of terrible and they're all like varying degrees of acritical of themselves but yeah i was just sort of like okay you know like if this isn't like at the end of episode one with the exception of the fact that okay someone dies there was no for me there was not a clear enough roadmap for like how this setup was going to develop because like if the hook is like look at these characters don't you want to know what happens to them i'm just kind of like no like i actually kind of don't care and so i guess like that is my kind of like my question to you then paxton becomes does that sort of framework develop and is there a hook like is there like a hook of ideas kind of beyond like watching what happens to these characters or like do the characters actually kind of like shift in a way that takes them do they shift in a way that takes them far enough away from this kind of this like opening act where it's actually worth watching? It's really, the thing is you said you asked, you asked me that question at the top of your, of what you were saying. So I had kind of time to cogitate on it. And honestly, like there are still, it's still a tough question to answer because it's not to say that the show lacks substance, but part of its substance is that its characters lack substance, but also strive to have substance. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, and actually I find it really interesting that you said um, that the least compelling part of the show for you was the family. Cause I arguably found them to be the most compelling part of the show. Uh, Even though they are like, the biggest walking caricatures. I don't know. It's the whole show is full of, they all begin as caricatures and some of them stay caricatures, but some of them actually do reveal themselves in interesting ways. Um, I don't know. I think the show more or less is, there's a lot to be said about it being a sort of statement on like white colonialism that becomes very prevalent as the show goes on. In fact, actually kind of explicit at one point um, in a conflict that involves, that sort of develops over the course of the season between uh, the daughter's friend. Um, the, the So 
to to clarify, the family is sort of comprised of a lot of is comprised entirely of generational caricatures. Um, so they're all kind of wealthy white, like waspy libs um, of different degrees where uh, Connie mm-hmm. Britton's character, she's like powerful CEO lady, or she's a CFO of like, I think it's a big tech company. Um, and uh, like is she, she, obviously she's of an older generation. She carries herself with this, like uh, with this energy of like, I, I have uh, you know, fed this family. I've I've worked to get my family where they are, and this is the thanks I get. And she doesn't see like any sort of gratitude uh, from anyone in her circle, despite the fact that like no amount of gratitude can really adequately uh, like reflect the life that she has helped provide, and a life that she has helped provide probably by way of it's sort of implied by way of ruining other lives to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the father is sort of this hapless kind of sad sack older dude who is like, for lack of a better word. And I don't mean to say this in like the right wing a hole kind of way, but like, he's been kind of like quote unquote cucked in that. Like he, the, 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 the son kind of says as much, I think in like the first episode, oh, he I does. think, I think they right. have a conversation about that where that's sort of like the joke is like, they do you know. explicitly say yeah. it. I forgot. Yes, that does happen. Um, but yeah. And, and the dad is like kind of of this generation where like, yeah, he too, like kind of carries on that, like sort of like boomer liberalism of like, yeah, progress. Yay. But also like internally is like, what's happening to white men. And like is sort of having to like wrestle with that internal conflict uh, in and of himself. And he is like all his whole character is just about like, I just want to be respected. I just want to be seen as like the head of this family, despite the fact that he does nothing to garner respect and instead just whines all the time. Like he's just a gigantic whiner. Mm-hmm. Um, the daughter and her friend, I think are arguably the most interest, one of the most interesting parts of the show in that they start off as absolute, almost like two on the nose to the point of like eye rolling, like caricatures of like classic zoomers in that they're like very, very uh, like, uh, exp- like openly progressive and very vehement about it, but kind of only use like Twitter talking points and, without. Yeah, there's a um, vis a vis them politically. There's like a bit where the 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 actual daughter, like there's the daughter and the friend, and the daughter says something. Like there is a discussion of Hillary Clinton, which is how you you know that's how you find the divide between different you know liberal progressives in a family. Um, and then, yeah, it's like, you know, like the daughter says, any effect of, uh, she's, you know, she's a neoliberal and a neocon. And it's just kind of like, it, I, that I kind of like that really rubbed me wrong. Like as much as yes, like it, people use the terms neoliberal and neoconservative and they have no idea what they actually mean, but kind of like, you know, understand it makes them sound smart, but it also like the sort of, I don't know, it, Anyway, that's a separate, there's a separate conversation about sort of like the, the parody of kind of like the politics of the youth. Um, But anyway, also they vape. They do vape. Um, Yeah. And actually, actually their, their sort of their substance abuse does become a key part of the show, which I, 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 again, I don't want to give too much away, but their substance abuse gets wrapped up in uh, a conflict with the hotel manager 
which like really to me is like it's one of the like their interactions with the hotel manager and their sort of uh paralleling conflicts to me are like are one of the most engaging parts of the whole show they really like i i will just say that the girls in episode one are insufferable and they are intended to be they truly are like intended to just be like pure scum with really zero redeeming qualities and they don't because again the show is sort of a a show about fake arcs um they don't really overcome that but you do sort of get to learn about them more intimately and they do become some of the more compelling characters on the show Mm -hmm. uh the son as well the son actually he also starts off again it's a family of caricatures the son starts off as a you know the the indoor kid you know, who may have some kind of, uh, uh, I, I don't want to use the, I don't want to use a term uh, like a, a, a social disorder. Am I using that correctly? He, um, um, for some reason that, yeah, might like be a, he yeah, might be he somewhere a, on the spectrum. It is sort of implied, yeah. but not explicitly stated. Yes, um, yes. And he is like, yeah, he's very, uh, trapped in like a, his own digital world of you know he has brought his like Nintendo Switch his laptop his phone etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's very much a parody of that kind of kid as well who like doesn't say much to his family lashes out when like addressed just just wants to be on his Switch while he's out in this tropical paradise again it's pretty it's pretty uh well-tread territory at this point the son actually has a a development throughout the course of the show that is um particularly surprising he has the most surprising development throughout the show i'll say his arc probably caught me the most off guard out of everyone's like once it starts and it does like i think take an episode or two to sort of actually really begin his arc um but it's it's noteworthy i don't know for me the show is just i think at the end of the day the show is really just kind of about uh and and whether or not this compels you is sort of your own thing to consider to me it's a show about how like wealthy white people they can talk big game they can stand they can claim to stand for something but when push comes to shove they will always value themselves because they are put on the top of the food chain and that is what you do in like the world of uh, survival of the fittest when a society has has conditioned itself to benefit you it doesn't matter what you claim to stand for it doesn't matter who you claim to be who you truly in your heart of hearts believe that you are you're going to perpetuate that system that benefits you because you're still an animal at the end of the day. And that's still what drives you. And I think that is kind of the core idea of the show. Um, And that to me is like, I I think too, like without, you know, getting too into my backstory, like I, I grew up in Manhattan beach. I grew up in waspy McWasperville, USA. I talked to you about this before Justin, but like, every single character on this show i know to some degree or another and when i say to some degree or another i mean i can place a name and a face to every single character on this show um even the caricatures the the more nuanced characters everybody and like i think to me that is particularly one of those things that like helped me immediately once i started be like okay yeah i know these people i'm curious to see what they do 
because I I'm very familiar with all of these people. Show me, show me what's going to happen to him. And then as the show progressed, it actually revealed itself to have something interesting to say and reveal that there is more to these characters than these caricatures. And that to me, I think the hooks, excuse me, the, the hooks were sunk in. <laughs> That's nice. That's classic. Intense. There we go. The hooks were sunk in by way of just me being like, haha, I know that. Um, and then I, they actually pulled me along when I saw that they were doing something genuinely interesting with these people. So I, I guess the long and short of it, when it comes to uh, one thing, when it comes to your, uh, your grievances with the fact that the show feels like it has no direction, I will tell you it does. It does just in a very low key way. It, it's in a way that's pretty low key until about episode three, when you start seeing the wheels really turning in motion and you're like, Oh, oh okay. Okay. Here's where we're going. Um, okay. But the, the initial hook really is kind of meant to be like, look at these people, what do you think of these people? And and you're not supposed to like them. Like they're again, no one on that show is really likable. Uh, with a few characters, other than Alexander Daddario is pretty likable, and then a few characters who aren't really likable, but you can at least derive some sympathy from them. You're like, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad for you and your situation. Blah blah blah. You obviously you have it made, but you're yeah, something's not right there. Um, yeah. And that is like the initial hook. So it's understandable, like why that would bounce off a lot of people, but I do encourage you to sort of give it another whirl. And I don't know, you said you didn't think it was funny. That's one of those things where it's like, I don't know what to tell you there. I thought it was hilarious. The show made me laugh out loud a lot. So that's one of those things where I'm like, ah, that I couldn't tell you. Um, oh, there's a few lines though, that got me to roll my eyes. There is a line in episode two or three, um where I, I i'm just gonna say what it is because it it made me wince in pain um where the show <laughs> was right. really trying it was really going for being topical and it didn't land where uh uh the, the zoomer daughter played by sydney sweeney is like in some uh ethical debate with her mom where both of them only understand like half the facts um mm -hmm. and like she's saying she's like getting mad at her mom and connie Britton just goes like uh oh what are you gonna do are you gonna cancel me are you gonna dox me are you gonna sick the k-pop fans after me and i was just like oh you Good you stuff. tried you tried too hard white lotus you tried too hard and it didn't work. Uh, that is not a good selling point to wrap this, <laughs> this show up on, but it's funny for the most part. I, it, it, I, I got a lot of good chuckles out of it. So I, I, I like by, by way of wrapping up, I will say that like, maybe it's just because that, you know, me at this point and you know, what'll like sell me, but like the, the idea of like rich people grappling with the fact that they, you know, exist in a system that has that has produced what they are and kind of isn't going to let them step outside of that like that actually is compelling to me specifically so you have actually you know like you you have actually kind of sold me on giving this another shot there we go i knew i could do it i knew i had it in me anyway we're hitting about a half an hour i'm tired I don't, I, I love the white Lotus and any other day I'd talk about it a lot more, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just want to go to bed. 
Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna edit this episode and then I'm gonna go to bed. Um, uh, this episode we're going to sleep live on the radio. <laughs> tune in for the next eight hours, and Just we will be. Well, that's that's unrealistic. Half, Give half it like, an hour of me wrestling in bed, going ah. <laughs> get get ready for you know you you might get lucky you might hear me get up like three or four times during the night to get water from the bathroom sink so you know just keep 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 your ears keep your ears glued to that dial well not the dial that's not going to give you any sound the speaker um you can glue it to the dial i mean chase your own bliss but i don't i don't know what that's really gonna how that's gonna benefit you in any way here at socially distance we listen to our tuners and dials we listen to the knobs. We understand the wisdom of the analog technology. And that's our PSA for this show. Listen to the knobs, people. The knobs will never steer you wrong. All right, this is stupid. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.